If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of MMA After Hours. I'm Michael Carlisle with always Micah Frankel. Micah, how are you, man? Man, my back is nearly normal again from our road trip and from, I mean, first class service, first class promotion all the way to the UFC. But the chairs in the media tent nearly killed me, man. I swear to God, I've never seen somebody complain as much as you do. My back, my back, my back. Mike and I were out in uh, Vegas last week for UFC 269. Had a great time. I had no complaints. But apparently, you know, my back, these chairs aren't ergonomically correct. Uh, my spine's out of whack. Well, I have a back injury I know. already. I Excuse know. me. <laughs> It was a a great road trip to make. It was a, a really good card. Uh, we saw an upset, a new women's bantamweight champion. Um, if we were going to see a title change, I don't think this was the title change we thought we were going to see. Uh, we can start wherever you want with this. Uh, I know we jokingly refer to you as the early prelim king. I, I don't know if you want to start there or if you want to start on that main card. But since you're still in pain... I'll, I'll let you direct how we go here. Now, let's go right to Charles Oliveira because he okay. was the main event for a reason. This was his card, and the Bronx delivers. Has to weather the storm of early adversity. He was getting pummeled with those left hands. You always hear it talked about that that southpaw orthodox matchup is tricky, especially for the orthodox fighter, not used to seeing that left hand. And boy, was it tagging Oliveira early. But I thought that he answered back with the knees to the body. We had speculated last week that that could have been a factor in the fight, the more diverse weapons that Oliveira was using. And I was shocked by the second round that very quickly the takedown and we just had four minutes of a lot of top time, vicious elbows from Charles Oliveira. Just in those first two rounds, I think we learned a lot about the champion. No doubt about it. And I thought he looked really impressive in the uh, the, the win over Poirier. Curious to see what they decide to do next with him. Um, but I, I thought... You know, look, winning the title is one thing, going out and defending it and doing it against a guy like Poirier and winning the way he did. And you're right. Look, the the, the first round, Poirier came out hot, and it looked like um, Oliveira could be in some trouble, but he quickly regroups, rebounds, and really takes control. And by the end of that third round, uh, Poirier was no more. I was surprised how easy it was for Oliveira to get on the inside attack the takedowns especially that third round getting around to the back jumping on the back and it gives us all memories of the first submission win in Oliveira's UFC career against Efren Escadero much the same except in that one he was he had the body triangle trapping the arm in so there was nothing left to do but tap this one Poirier was able to force a couple adjustments, but eventually succumbs to it. 
I could already see it as soon as it happened that there were going to be tweets that he tapped too early. He should have went to sleep, should have fought the choke all the way to hitting the ground. There's no way you're getting out of that Charles Oliveira choke. This is the all-time leader in submissions in UFC history, and that was prior to this fight, just adding on to that list. It's remarkable from eight and 10 or 10 and eight stint to now a 10 fight win streak. Oliveira has changed, turned his career around in a way that was unfathomable in the past. We really didn't think guys could go back from that kind of losing to this kind of success in such a short amount of time. So I am just in awe of the champion. Didn't expect even in a win, that we would have such a dominant second round and such a crazy finish in the third. Yeah. All right. Let's play. Uh, let's play matchmaker here. Where do they go next? Uh, we'll start with, with Oliveira. Oh, where do they go next with him? I, I think Gaethje makes a lot of sense, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what we get next. Well, what do you think they ultimately do? We feel like they alluded to it, that it's going to be Gaethje. Gaethje was there. Gaethje had an interaction with Oliveira in the back. Everybody feels that's a foregone conclusion with the also tantalizing Islam Mahashev and mm-hmm. Benil Daryush matchup already on the horizon. We know that's the number one contender matchup. This one isn't so much guessing. This one is connect the dots. Gaethje is right there, and I don't see the UFC bypassing him just because of who his manager is, how they're playing ball, where he was in the arena on fight night. It makes sense. It does make sense, and I've got no problems with it at all, but I'd be remiss if I didn't point out, if you're having a number one contenders match, shouldn't the winner of the number one contenders match be next in line since they would be, oh, I don't know, the number one contender? Yeah, but that guy's going to be beat up, banged up, presumably have to sit around and wait. And he's not ready for this fight yet. At least that's according to Dana White. Justin mm. Gaethje, though, he beat another former world champion. He was right there. Only some retired guy beat him. So so he's just right there in the mix without having to really make the kind of win streak that the other two have. I hear you, and, and you're not wrong in the least. And, and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just too literal with, with some of this stuff. But So you're having a number one contenders fight, but the winner's not the next in line. You, you're, you, you give it to Gaethje, let's say. All right, let's say Gaethje wins. Oliveira get a rematch? Probably. So if that's the case, maybe, maybe not, but let's assume it is. So I win the number one contenders match, and I got to wait three fights before I can fight for the title. In the meantime, I get bored. Maybe I decide to fight. I have an off night. I lose. I'm not the number one contender anymore. I won the number one contenders fight, but I'm, I, I don't know. Again, maybe I'm, I'm being a little bit too literal with this whole number one contenders matchup and things like that. But I, I agree with you. I do think it's going to be Gaethje next, but let's not call, call this a number one contenders match. If it might be a number one contenders match, it might not be a number one contender. No, it feels like it. It feels like very easily. I don't care how many fights Charles Oliveira wins and defends the title. It's going to have to get into some range of the person we're going to talk about in a moment before the UFC is offering a title fight because you got to be that draw. We got to hit big pay-per-view numbers. We got to see something special. And they've seen that in Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler. That's why both of them lost and were right away. We weren't complaining about when their fight was a presumed number one contender's bout, but we still had Poirier coming up. We've already had this situation before. It's just off by a month or so. They need to hurry up and announce Oliveira Gaethje, and then maybe we don't feel so weird that the Mahashev Daryush winner is waiting in the wings because also that guy is there if one of these two gets injured. They're there fight night to be that third guy on the scale, which I was actually surprised we did not have a third 155-er mm-hmm. on the scale or a third women's 135-er on the scale. The UFC was very locked in this past weekend that they knew their champions and contenders would make weight something they had not done in the past and i kind of like the safety net i know cutting weight to not fight not the greatest idea in the world but a safety net for the promotion extremely smart now do we go to where dustin poyer falls next 
in a second. I got one more question for you. And just because anytime I can get you riled up and piss you off a little bit within the first 10 minutes of the show, I want to take full advantage of it. Oh, okay. There is another contender out there who we haven't brought up yet. And um, he made his presence known on social media after the fight. Of course, I'm talking about Conor McGregor, who casually asked on, on Twitter after the fight, when, what date is my fight with Oliveira? Now, look, I, I, I get it. This is Conor being Conor. He's got to keep his name out there. Conor does not need to fight for a title. He needs to come back and get a win or two. Look, then he's right there again. He is the biggest draw right now in UFC. I get what he's doing. That's how you stay relevant. That's why he is the guy he is, because he's always keeping his name out there. But come on, dude. I will give it to Conor. I'm going to give him exactly the date. June 17th, 2023. By then, presumably... He will have done something with his fight career to have earned a world title fight. I think June 17th, 2023, he may have got his, or have forged his shit together again to earn a title fight. Look at you, still throwing shade at McGregor, e even when you're backhanded complimenting him. June of 2023, not July, not International Fight Week, the month before. Look at you. You know, he's a big enough star. Vegas going to be full for international fight. We, do you really need him there? Hey, if we want to push it, push it all the way. I'm guessing that international fight week is going to be yeah. July 15th, 2023. So if you want to push him back even further, we could do it. That's not me. That's you pushing him back further. Oh, that's you. You're the no, one no, that no, said no, June. No, no, no. I was going June. You went July. Yeah, See, that's well, even further. I'm just saying. Just saying. All right. Where, where does Poirier go next? Because, you know, this is the second time he's been on the cusp and hasn't been able to to get it done. And I don't mean that as a knock, but that takes a lot out of a guy. And he acknowledged that post-fight as well. He's got to go back, regroup, decide where he wants to go from here. Look, he comes back. He gets a win. He gets a couple of wins. He's right there again. I mean, it's not like he plummets down the rankings, I would think. Now, you just gave me the look like, eh, I don't know about all that. I, I kind of think he's still right there. Well, what do you think? Here's what I think we're going to talk about later. And we already talked about before the show. Where does one half of our heavyweight main event coming up this weekend go mm -hmm. after two world title fight losses? It looks pretty grim for the future. You've already lost the, the championship fight twice. Well, that's the exact position Poirier's in. And he's been stopped by submission in both of them. I don't know after those two losses and Easily, we know that this second appearance in the title fight was a short road back. It was easy to get there with the Conor McGregor card. I don't know if that's the exact trajectory. And I don't know if there's a point where the Poirier camp is going to look at it and say, we are five round built if we keep it on the feet. But we're not five-round built at 155 if it hits the ground. Maybe he does dip a toe at 170. Speculation during fight week, we were both there. The name Kamaru Usman, for I didn't understand why, was coming up with mm -hmm. Poye's name. Poye was already talking about maybe I'll go up to 170. If the cut to 155 is so hard, maybe we do just send him up to 170, a la what Kevin Lee did, and give it an, an honest try if 155 is so hard, especially because you have attempted for the belt two times, so there's no harm in moving up, especially when Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz are both floating around that welterweight class anyway, and those are the names chirping about you. And that's what I was going to ask next. Uh, obviously, it would have been more difficult to go right into a Poirier-McGregor 3 had Poirier won the title, although they'd have probably done it anyway. But the fact that Poirier loses... Is that easier if that's the direction UFC wants to go? If that's what Connor wants to do first, extract revenge for his loss and, and his broken leg and all that? Does this make it easier if they want to do another McGregor Poirier? Poirier gets a big payday, uh, probably more of a payday than he would have gotten if he had won the title and, and was defended against Muhammad or somebody. Do you think that's an avenue they maybe pursue? I think it opens up more with the loss. I think that the Diaz fight opened up. I think that both fights became very realistic with the way they were attacking Dustin on social media, on Twitter, Forrest Tap, 
afterwards. Uh, Poirier said there's very exciting fights for him at 155 and 170, and I feel like those are the two names because it's a very short list. Outside of those two names, he's had some social media back and forth before with Colby Covington. And to be honest, at this point, with his style... I don't know if I like Kobe against Dustin for Dustin. I'd be favoring Kobe, especially up at 170 in his weight class. So how many fun options even would you think of just off the top of your head outside of Connor and Nate? I, I think those are the, the, the two most entertaining. And I, I think Poye can win both of those. And, and again, if he does that, he can make the claim whether or not they do it again. Look, I, I just... You know, the two fan favorites, the the, the guys that, that everybody thinks are the measuring sticks, I, I deserve another title shot. I think at that point he could again make that argument whether or not, you know, it's listened to, um, we'd find out. I mean, there's also a thought of Michael Chandler. If you really yeah. want Mr. Here for a gun, a good time, and he was also chirping, chattering, throwing it out there on Twitter. So that's another name that I didn't mention. So I only see those three fights as the real avenues. They came out there. They said it. They're all big money fights around the same recognition. One of those three guys is who Poye fights next. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. All right, Micah, the co-main event, and I don't think many people outside of the Juliana Pena camp saw this one coming, but Pena upsets Amanda Nunez to win the women's bantamweight title, and she does so in very impressive uh, fashion. All right, so let's go back to last week, and I think I had said a rough weight cut, a gassing Amanda Nunez, and if Juliana Pena was faster and she hurt, Nunez got it to the ground. She may be able to submit her. Why didn't we bet on it when we were laughing last week about this improbability that somehow we thought into the universe and made happen? <laughs> Juliana Pena looked incredible beating Amanda Nunez to the jab in that second round. First round taken out with two calf kicks. Nunez with a lot of top time. I never felt like... Either one was really in danger. I don't think that arm lock that Pena had was really much of anything. She had the glove trap more than anything, not allowing the arm and the hand to escape to be free for ground and pound. Pretty simple round. The second round, Nunez is out of sorts. Mm -hmm. I don't know why she was getting here with the jab, and all she was doing was, was continuing to just step to her left, step to her left, not really cutting a hard angle. We had seen a a bobbing, a weaving, a slipping punches, Amanda Nunez against Holly, against Cyborg. 
was the speed difference that vast from a smaller 135er in Juliana Pena. In the third round, Pena gets the takedown. You see the bat, or it was the second round, excuse me, the bat give up late into the second round. My bad, yeah, it's right here. In the second round, and panic mode from Nunez as she gives her back to get up. And as she's climb, as Pena's climbing up Nunez's back, I think I'm already yelling at you at that point from our yeah. vantage point. It's over. It's over. She's going to get the rear naked choke, climbs up the back, gets the rear naked choke. And I think it took till about the third or fourth time I saw it on some highlights before I was like, you know, the way Nunez's head was turned to the right, I think that it may have been more of a, a crunch or a, a crank than a rear naked choke, actually, because I just think she got caught in the wrong angle and Penny was able to lock down it enough in a position where there was no going anywhere. Yeah. I want to be careful here because I don't want to sound like we're diminishing what Juliana Pena did because she went out, uh, she had a great game plan, she followed it to the letter, and it worked perfectly. But I think it's easy to try to, maybe not excuses, but reasons why Nunez came out the way she did. Uh, Certainly, her last fight at 145, it had been a while since she had made the 135 weight cut. That being said, during fight week, I don't think she ever really looked like the weight cut was getting to her. Now, that doesn't mean it wasn't, but she looked good. You know, you see some fighters, and you can tell. Like, this this weight cut's rough on them. They look like they could drop at any time. Nunez never looked that way. She came out strong. One of the knocks on her is endurance as a fight goes along, and it did look like she was trying to end that thing early, but she was never able to really land any damaging blows um, you know, during that time. And it did look like she got tired out. Now, that doesn't mean she didn't hit pain yet. That doesn't mean that, that Juliana didn't take punishment, but she was never, and I think you pointed this out um, when we were going back over to the uh, the, the media center for, for the post-fight press conferences, she, she, she never got one of those, you know, on the button punches in the temple, something like that. Pena was able to weather those. By the way, come back with, with some pretty nice punches of her own, Finally got Nunez down and got the submission. Where did this go wrong for Amanda on Saturday night? Or or did it start before Saturday? I wonder if it started before Saturday. I didn't have the courage. I'll I'll even say it on on the podcast. First UFC big press conference. Didn't jump on the mic. When I saw Amanda Nunez walk out there. And we saw her with the Jennifer Lopez look at the press conference. That was like 90s Jennifer Lopez. Tell everybody what you mean by that. That's uh, She had baggy pants on with no shirt, the sports bra, and a big fluffy jacket. She was showing off the abs in the six-pack, had kind of a Kango hat on. And uh, my first thought was, are you trying? Are you intentionally having this look right now to show off your physique, to try to counter the narrative of this lack of cardio and that you're not in shape. And I thought she was trying to make a point with it. Didn't know how it would affect her. And some of her cardio may have been diminished. And you're right, we are discounting Juliana Pena. Maybe it was damaged. Because if you look, that's six jabs in a row and accuracy matters. And that's what you hit on. You look at Juliana Pena's face. Nunez did land. She landed on her face. She landed on her forehead. She landed to that left eye that was swollen up in the beautiful pictures you took that we have across, all across social media. But she didn't land to the temple, and she didn't land to the jaw. But Pena was landing those jobs straight to the mouth, jabbing her up, and she probably hit the button. Then you had a Nunez that wanted to get back. She wanted to score. You hit me, and I'm going to hit you right back. And it became a single mindset that ended up costing her. The hand speed was a huge advantage for Pena, not to mention when you look at landed strikes. It's 79-46 to in favor of Pena. So we're talking about 33 added strikes. So I don't care who hits harder. If you're outlanded by that much, it doesn't matter. It was a great game plan. And I don't know if you can counter, um, applaud the defense for not getting hit in the right places, or it was just unlucky for Nunez, who also we had plotted for her ability to keep everyone at the end of her punches for much of her win streak. And this time they were right in the pocket exchanging. Where do you go next? Um, you know, Nunez said, now she skipped the, the, the post-fight uh, press conference, but she said on social media uh, she wanted to take some time. I, I think the quote was, get her shit right 
and she definitely wanted a rematch. And when she's ready, I'm certain she gets that. But I don't know if you're the UFC, if you have Pena wait, because it sounds like we could be looking at some time here. Uh, if it's not Nunez next for Pena, is it Holly Holm? Is it someone else? I, I, because I think it's, I don't think there's a bigger name outside of Nunez and, and Pena than Holly Holm, but that doesn't mean that's necessarily the fight to make. But if you want it to be a, a co-main on a pay-per-view, I, I think that's awful intriguing. Or do you see somebody else there that, that maybe they decide would make a good first opponent for Pena? Well, Aspen Ladd somehow is still sitting higher than a Caitlin Vieira. Caitlin Vieira is coming off of the win over Misha Tate, so you would think that Vieira has the most momentum. You have an Irene Aldana, and you have a Holly Holm. I think optimally, the UFC also, with Pena talking about wanting to take some time off, the UFC is going to want to wait to make this rematch. I think that they're probably going to say, this is where the money is, this is where the narrative is, and unless it becomes some prolonged process where they can't get Nunez to agree to the fight, then maybe Holly Holm I could see slipping in, honestly, because of the name recognition. You would feel like Vieira and Aldana, maybe they rematch one more time just to get that kind of clout, that recognition, that credibility. Aldana coming off of a win over Kuniskaya, but Kuniskaya has been gone pregnant. Misha Tate wasn't at the top of her game. It's not the best place to be for the 135-pound division. And like we said, Aldana was coming off of a loss to Holly Holm. Holly's won two in a row over Pennington and Aldana. We have a lot of mess. We have a lot of traffic and congestion here on I-35W. And what they need to do is just run the rematch. Yeah, and I think you're right. That's probably what we see happening. Let me ask you this. You look at the history of the women's bantamweight division, and you look at all the former former champs, uh, Ronda Rousey, Holly Holm, Misha Tate, Nunez and Pena's the champ now. I don't think I skipped anybody there. Um, nobody has been able to come back and reclaim that title after losing it. Can Nunez break that trend? Can she come back and and beat Pena in a rematch? Or much like we, we saw it with, say, a Ronda Rousey after her loss was never quite the same. I think it's a little different for Nunez. Not the first time she's been beaten. Exactly. So, so that, that does make a bit of difference. But do, do we start to see Amanda f go into that free fall that we saw with Rousey and, and maybe some others? I don't know if we do because she's been through the fights, been through battles, and already suffered losses. Her cardio has been called into question before that when Amanda gets tired, Amanda can get finished 21-5. and five. So she's had these adversities. There was speculation, though, all week long, even with the victory, was she seeing the end of her career? Then you hear her talking about that her and her partner, Nina, would like to have more children and like them all to experience fight week. Maybe she does have more fights left in her. I thought, coming away from the loss, there were three avenues for her to go down. One was begging the UFC to let her defend the featherweight title, most likely against Norma Dumont, who's on a three-fight win streak, the only other featherweight left in the division now that Felicia Spencer retired and Megan Anderson is a free agent. The division has almost dissolved itself. So that was one uh, possible avenue. The other one was retirement. Why not just walk away? You've already been the most accomplished double champ the sport has seen. You've been the most dominant women's champ. Two divisions, incredible. Then there's trying to be, make history, win the rematch, and get that belt back, which no woman has done. Right. That's apparently the avenue she wants to go down. We've already discredited and thought Amanda Nunez was not going to be able to beat Misha Tate to topple Cyborg. I hate to say that she can't come back and do it again because we've seen her lose before and we've seen her get her ish together. And not to mention, we've just seen her fight better than what she did. Not saying that Juliana Pena didn't do things very well, but there was a defensive lackadaisicalness to Amanda Nunez from the very get-go going out there just trying to hurt and knock out Juliana Pena where maybe she got overzealous overlooking Pena. You mentioned her 
previous double champ status. And while not the first fighter to, to be a double champ, the, the first fight fighter to, to defend both belts. Could this be nothing more, nothing less than a situation of at some point in time, you keep going up and down in weight to defend two titles. That's going to catch up to you as well. And you know, the, the, the more you fight at 145, the harder it is to cut the 135, things like that. And, and maybe a big part of what happened to Nunez on Saturday night was the the stress on the body, the, the going back and forth from 145 to 135 and defending two belts. Exactly, not to mention just what you, the stress you put on your body, changing it. She had to put on muscle to compete at 145, did that for over a year, and then had to readjust that body to come back down to 135. Not to mention... The opponents, you're looking at these much more methodical, much slower 145ers. Now the speed difference having to fight Pena was vastly different from a Spencer, from an Anderson. So there are so many factors going against what Nunez did. It was so utterly impressive that she did it for so long. But most of us saw her dominance for so long that we did not see Saturday coming, even if we could joke about it and lay it out perfectly. Bigger loser on Saturday night, Amanda Nunez or Kayla Harrison? Harrison was cage side, octagon side for the fight. Uh, They had been talking um, her in UFC this week. You assume if Nunez wins that fight, uh, it's back to 145. It's a fight with Kayla Harrison. Now, you can still do that fight, but Nunez coming off a loss at 135, there's an awful lot of luster off of that matchup right now. For anybody who's seen the the Michael Chiesa uh, video with him jumping over the rail and trying to, to get into the octagon after the fight to congratulate Pena and all that, if you keep watching that video, you see Harrison ringside, and she's in disbelief. She's yelling expletives. I think she realized right then, shit, I've got to go back to the PFL for another year. At least another year. The payday is out the window. And let's be honest. 145 was viable. 145 was there because of Amanda's dominance. It was almost a favor to Nunez that she could jump back and forth. And she was being so dominant that the UFC was letting her. I threw out the option of Norma Dumont. I don't know if they cut Norma Dumont this week. If they say, we don't need your services. We are done going down this path at 145. Amanda's retiring that belt. She can fight at 135 or it's over because now it's not the spectacle. Look, our champion's so great. She can go up 10 pounds and beat other girls. Now the Harrison fight, it looks a lot more like, and you could speculate, well, what's to stop Harrison from ragdolling Nunez around if Pena had such an easy time with the takedown, such a dominance on the ground? Um, It hurt American top team what happened on Saturday night immensely. Kayla Harrison in disbelief. She loses her payday, and right there, Ali Abazi is telling her, we can still get you a lot of money with, PFL, maybe we do call up uh, Bellator and do a one-off. See if they will let us fight Cyborg before the PFL season starts. This obviously was not the weekend in Vegas that Harrison had. She gambled, bet, and lost big. And and through no fault of her own. Uh, Sometimes, we'll we'll keep with the, the, the gambling analogy, sometimes the dice just don't roll your way. Sometimes you bet on the wrong pony. She was there in training. She saw that steed running tremendously, and she said, that's who I'm betting on race night. And the Venezuelan came out ahead of the Brazilian. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Micah, let's look at the rest of the main card. What I thought was the least entertaining of the main card, and that's more of a compliment to the other fights than knocking these guys, but but Jeff Neal gets the uh, split decision over Santiago Ponzinibbio. Uh, the match, it was, it was a fine fight. It was there, um, but I was surprised it was a split decision. I, 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 was, I was thinking this was going to be a unanimous decision for Neal. Regardless, he gets the win, and after the last couple of weeks he had had, he needed this win. All credit to Jeff Neal for overcoming the adverse, adversity, putting the personal situations behind him and performing on fight night, his power punching, a head kick early on, busted open Ponzinibbio. Ponzinibbio, usually a much more aggressive fighter, was willing to take the back foot, be the counter striker. A good win for Jeff Neal. He moves deeper now into the rankings there at 170. A much needed win. That's two in a row after having lost two in a row. So Jeff Neal back on track to possibly being a title contender. Yep. Kaikara France and all the credit in the world to him. I thought Cody Garbrandt uh, going down to flyweight. I thought this, if the weight cut didn't get him and it didn't, I, I thought Garbrandt's size would be too much for Kaikara France. Nope, not in the least. Uh, Kara France looked really good and made quick work of Cody Garbrandt. I thought this one could be a close fight all the way up. Until we were at the ceremonial weigh-ins. And you see a rehydrated Cody No Love who had to be 140, if not 145, to a, a 128, 130 Kai Kata France. France tried to turn up the fire with the throat slash, trying to make it emotional. Knew he was the underdog and being overlooked all week long. That sharp one-two, the big right hands, putting down Garbrandt. When you said who was the bigger loser, I didn't think you were going to go Kayla Harrison. I thought you were going to ask me about Cody Garbrandt because he put all the chips in the middle, it felt like, with this move to 125. But he still has one multicolored rainbow chip in his back pocket, thankfully for what happened during the press conference. But Kai Kara France is the guy we have to talk about. Overlooked, big right hand, and I think it's easy, an easy one to say he should probably be either facing Asgar Oscarov or Alex Perez in a number one contenders fight. You got that big win over Garbrandt, over a former champion, and we all know cut cut the cheese. Garbrandt with a win, with a knockout like Cara France did. No love would be the number one contender. Mm-hmm. He'd be still hanging around in Vegas, about ready to head to Anaheim to be their cage side for UFC 270. So I think Car France deserves at least close to that same opportunity. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. The rainbow color chip you mentioned uh, that Cody Garbrandt still has in his back pocket. I assume you mean Sean O'Malley. They were going back and forth at the press conference last week. Uh you can still do this fight. I, I think it loses a bit of its luster with Garbrandt coming off a loss. But, you know, as O'Malley said at the press conference to Garbrandt, you're about one more loss away from being beside Dominic Cruz at, at, at the announcer's desk. Uh, O'Malley coming off his win to open up the pay-per-view. They talk about giving him a step up in competition. If you want to give him a bigger name fighter, even if Garbrandt is headed in, in the wrong direction, I think this makes a lot of sense because it's a very winnable fight, it would seem, for O'Malley, uh, assuming he takes it seriously. And unfortunately for Garbrandt, should he lose again, it might mean the end of him in UFC. Cody Garbrandt right now at 135. He had came in ranked at number seven he came into ufc 269 we saw it on all the graphics right ranked number seven in the division 
as I sit here right now looking at the rankings, UFC.com slash rankings, people, that knockout loss has taken no love all the way out. They dropped no love from seven. All the way out, out. All the way out of the rankings. While on the other side, O'Malley, who was unranked, beats number 15, Julian Paiva, and somehow jumps past Cody Stamen and Sonya Dong to be number 13 in the world. So I feel like it, it makes perfect ranking sense. If not ranked to number 13, the former champion, they have the backstory. They have the heat. Cody Garbrandt, Sean O'Malley, to me, is a ready-made pay-per-view feature fight. I don't care if it's Vegas, Phoenix, uh, Anaheim, L.A., somewhere there in the Southwest. They're both, one's an Arizona guy, one's a California guy. I think a last stand for Garbrandt is what he deserves. He's, I believe, one and three in his last four, but one and one in his last two. Or maybe that's one in, or yeah, one and two actually in his last three. So give him the three fight losing streak, and then you can send him out. It's the name to propel O'Malley into a next level of stardom. There's a there's a assurance in his skills that we get from O'Malley piecing up Julian Paiva, which he did beautifully. Mm-hmm. But there is a mainstream respect that he garners from doing that to Cody Garbrandt. And they already have the fix, the friction to sell it on pay-per-view. So I feel like that one makes academics easily. Micah, as to, to put this card in perspective, the prelims would have made a really nice fight night. Um, and we had talked a lot about the prelims leading up to this. Uh, Josh Emmett with a very impressive win. Dominic Cruz gets in the win column. Uh, Taito Iyasa uh, continues his run. And, and Bruno Silva opening up the uh, the, the prelims, uh, beating Jordan Wright. What stood out to you on the prelims? Okay, all of those. They were all amazing. Dominic Cruz able to withstand that early knockdown, gets the win. He calls out Jose Aldo. That one I find interesting. Marab Davishvili is ahead of Dominic Cruz in the rankings. Davishvili called out um, Sean O'Malley looking to get some of that celebrity. Well, why not? We cut that one off in the past, and Cruz fights Marab because I still like the thought of Jose Aldo versus TJ Dillashaw, but I guess that's all depending on Aljermaine Sterling's health. But Aljermaine Sterling, again, being very prominent fight week, I would hope to believe this means the champ is ready to defend the title. He's out there in front of the media. He's out there in front of the UFC audience because he wants you to remember who he is because he's about to make the comeback. If not, dude, be recovering and resting. Hopefully we're getting Sterling Yawn, so that makes Aldo Dillashaw all the more sense, and that gives Davish Philly an opportunity to fight Dominic Cruz. So that's what I liked about the Dominic Cruz win is it keeps him in the mix. Now, on the other side, you talked about 145. Josh Emmett needed the win. That's a four-fight win streak now, but he was kind of a forgotten man because of the year and a half off from the injury. Nice of the UFC after a year and a half off to leave him in the rankings. That one's a little puzzling to me. Arnold Allen sits there at number seven. We haven't seen him in a minute. I don't know if Emmett Allen is possible for that UFC London card. They're talking about in February if that's too much or too soon of a turnaround. But that's where I kind of feel they're at, especially with the Qatar Giga Chikotse winner possibly being the next in line for the winner of Holloway Volkanovsky if we don't end up going to a five-game series there. Bruno Silva uh, makes quick work of Kung Fu Panda. No, not Kung Fu Panda, the other movie. Beverly Hills Ninja, Jordan, right? By the way, that, that nickname really fits him. I thought Silva looked really impressive. I, I'm saving two, uh, two of us for, for something else. Yeah, That's why I skipped to Silva. I know you're looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, but, but a nice win for Bruno Silva. Bruno Silva has some power. He has, I believe it's like 19 knockout victories yeah. and 22 wins overall. The dude is dynamic right there at the bottom of the middleweight rankings. If Chris Weidman is going to be healthy anytime soon, I guess that's the name you put him against because I can't figure out why Chris Weidman is still in the rankings after that nasty leg break. Just figured he'd be a guy that would be set to the side for a moment. Uh, You have Andre uh, Muniz also. He, with the armbar finish, 
this weekend. Guy is devastating beating Eric Anders. Maybe you put those two Brazilians against each other. I don't know if they have any relations, but they are both streaking towards that top 10. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I promise we will get to Tai Tuavasa in just a moment in his big win. But, but real quick, on the early prelims, um, you had Ryan Hall get a nice win. You had some controversy in the opening fight with, with some eye pokes. Uh, real quick, what's your take on the uh, early prelims? Jillian Robertson, still a tenacious grappler, waiting for us to see the day where she puts the on her feet striking together. I love the elbows that she was landing from Mount. Um, Priscilla Cachera, that was just dirty pool. Uh, that may shorten your lifespan in the UFC trying to gouge somebody's eyes while in a rear naked choke. Dana White had said he had not observed it live, but I wouldn't be surprised. You go back and review that. You're calling the team and you're like, hey, we, we got to make this explicitly clear to you. This is not suitable. This will not be tolerated. Any action like this again in your fighter will be removed from the roster. Uh, so a good win for Robertson fighting through the adversity of getting stabbed in the eye. Wolf trying to get the rear naked choke. And you can understand from referee Chris Tyone's point, trying to do it, but you kind of don't want to slap at somebody's hand where they're in somebody's eye and inadvertently cause Make more damage. Yeah. You, it looked like he was verbally instructing and you don't want to stop that position right there before you don't want to rob either fighter of their opportunity. So I think it was handled as good as it could for as nasty as it was. Uh, Ryan Hall is never going to be everyone's favorite fighter to watch, but he is going to be a tough matchup for whoever they stick in front of him uh you forget after the loss to Ilya Teporia who I believe is an incredible prospect that Ryan Hall has beat BJ Penn this win over Derek Minner again well it was not the most beautiful thing I think it puts Hall right back in that top 20 range interesting uh Tony Kelly nice win over Randy Costa as well um you also had uh, Aaron Blanchfield beat uh Miranda Maverick and um Andre Muniz over uh, Eric Anders on, on the early prelims. Aaron Blanchfield is 22 years old. We don't want to rush her too quickly, but unfortunately, and it's almost an unfortunate when you say we don't want to rush her too quick, she just beat Miranda Maverick, who I think was number 13 in the world. Yep. So how can you not rush Aaron Blanchfield too quick? It's like, okay, well, all right, at the holding you back at most, with this win, you jump into the rankings at what, number 13? Or did they actually hold Blanchfield out of the rankings? I want to say they actually held her out of the rankings as I'm looking at her. So maybe they are doing something to hold her back. They just discredited the win against Miranda Maverick because you have O'Neal, Manafiore, Macy Barber, and Mataferi as the next couple. Mataferi is about to retire in her next fight, so yeah. you could pencil Blanchfield in at 15 and just let her keep working the way up the rankings. I'd like to see Blanchfield versus Barber. Yep. All right, Mike, I, I held off on Tai Tuivasa, uh, his big win over Sakai, because it kind of leads into this weekend and UFC Fight Night at the UFC Apex, uh, which is headlined by Derek Lewis and Chris Dawkins in a big heavyweight title match. But um, Tuivasa's win kind of goes to something we've talked about on and off for the last couple of months now, and that's the log jam in the heavyweight division. Tuivasa's now won four in a row. Um, we know we're getting the, the unification fight uh, b between Nganu and Surreal Gone coming up in January. 
But you've got Tuivasa on a four-fight uh, fight win streak. You've got Stipe Miocic, who wants his title back. You've got John Jones, who's moving up to heavyweight. You've got Derek Lewis, who, yeah, he's coming off a loss, but he's won, what, four or five? And, uh, uh, you know, a win on Saturday at fight night. And while it's probably hard if you're UFC to, to give him another title fight right away, he can certainly make that argument. You've got a big no pun intended, big uh, clop of fighters there near the top of that heavyweight division, which is a good problem to have. Don't get me wrong, but uh, Tuivasa with his win over Sakai puts his name right in there as well. Oh, it's a, it's a beautiful problem to have. Yeah. The more meat on the roster, the happier you are. You want heavyweights. Heavyweights are a marquee division throughout the echelon of combat sports. You think about all of the big names, Tyson, Ali, what Velasquez, Dos Santos, Lesnar, what those names have meant to the sport, Emilianenko. So to have more heavyweights, more the better. And the youth that it is, Nganu, Gan. Tui Vasa, Dawkins, who's headlining the card this weekend mm -hmm. across from Derek Lewis. That's a good problem to have is these young guys, not to mention Tom Aspinall. With the win, Tui Vasa jumps into 11. He sent Augusta Sakai on a, on a spaceship to outer space. I don't know if he saw Michael Strahan while he was up there, quite <laughs> possibly, but he was out of this world, man. Now, it was a three-fight win streak, a three-fight losing streak. Now, Four wins in a row. I think rushed a little too hard the first time around. Tuivasa went from, well, I guess he crushed Andre Orlovsky. So then you gave him Junior Dos Santos. That was hard against Ivanov, Spivak. We haven't seen him against a wrestler again. I don't know if we go straight for a wrestler. Marcin Tybura sits mm -hmm. right there at number nine. And that's a nice logical jump for Tuivasa because I know Tom Aspinall is there. But if I can keep Tuivasa and Aspinall apart for just a little longer, let's let them get a little further up the division. You still don't know what we have in Jairinho Rosenstruck. That's another one. Right. Sign me up for Rosenstruck versus Tuivasa. Somebody's going to sleep and going to sleep quickly in that one. <laughs> so there are some fun fights you can make for the Aussie. He's still doing the shoey, so you know that he has this other worldly marketability. He connects with the fans. That's something we didn't touch about on Rainbow Man. I didn't believe it until we were there in person. Oh, the fans love Sean O'Malley, man. It's crazy. Dude, those basketball jerseys, the sweatsuits. I went to his website actually just yesterday to look at all the different merchandise, realizing how many of the shirts I had actually seen when we were walking around Vegas. I was in awe of his connection to the fans, the way mm -hmm. he's broke through his marketability, and that's the same kind of thing you have with Tuivasa, and the UFC needs those kind of guys. I would agree with you on that. All right, Micah, that fight night this week at the UFC Apex, we mentioned it. Derek Lewis and Chris Dawkins, a big heavyweight title matchup uh, atop the card. You've also got Stephen Thompson and Bilal Muhammad in the, uh, the co-main. Let's keep it with the heavyweights. Derek Lewis, an interesting guy. He's ranked third. He is coming off a loss. He's lost, uh, what, two title fights now. But with his popularity, if he gets a win, it is hard to say, Derek, I'm sorry, you're great, you're still right up there, but we're not giving you another title fight. Again, a good problem to have. Also, in the case of Dawkins, who's ranked seventh, if he gets a win, certainly he's got to put himself in the title talk contention. Now, he probably still needs another couple of fights, but that would be a big win for his career as well. So a lot on the line on Saturday. It's going to be moving night in the heavyweight division because you get another contender out of this one. Like you said, Lewis is trying to save his spot. He's number three in the world. It's hard to say that Dawkins doesn't take that three in the rankings with the win, if not just at least the top five. Not going to jump over Miocic. We know that there's still going to be the gone in Ganu, but there's a huge opportunity, and this is one of the stylistic worst matchups for Derek Lewis. Let's think about it. You said four or five wins for Lewis. Lewis, 12 knockouts in the UFC. That's the most all-time in heavyweight history and actually tied with the immortal Matt Brown for most in UFC history. Derek Lewis is not, how do you say, an active fighter. Volume is only in the tone of his voice. That's this best volume. He lands 2.49 strikes per minute. That's not a lot. He absorbs 2.48. It's not a winning formula to be one-to-one. -one. I take one, I give one. 
but that's the otherworldly power because it's not actually taking one to give one. It's taking one to kill one when he lands. But on the other side, you have a Chris Dawkins who lands nine strikes per minute. He's a very active volume striker, and that's what could come back to bite Derek Lewis. Lewis has the reach advantage here by three inches in the arms. Dawkins is going to have to get inside, but once he does and he starts lighting up Lewis, you don't know if he's going to find that opening to throw back. We've seen Lewis kind of curl up and take a beating before, and with a guy that throws nine strikes per minute, maybe you do see a false referee stop. It's because you just see an overwhelmed Derek Lewis. This is one of those fights where I see it as not in favor of the Black Beast. I would agree with you on that. I, I don't think it's a particularly good matchup for him, but we'll see. Uh, again, with that punching power, uh, the matchups doesn't matter. All, all it takes is one good punch. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A couple of other things on this card coming up on Saturday from the UFC Apex as the UFC wraps up 2021. Uh, you had uh, Stephen Thompson, who just recently signed a new contract with the UFC. He's taking on Bilal Muhammad. You've got Angela Hill making her 47th fight of 2021. I'm kidding a little bit, but it seems like she's on every damn card. Kudos to her for being active as all get out, but but she's on this one as well. It's an interesting card to wrap up the year. You you got Cub Swanson and Darren Elkins uh, kicking off the, uh, the the main card. What, what else do you like about this card on Saturday? Okay, this is like every Wonder Boy Thompson. He's going to try to counter strike as the boxer wrestler tries to get on the inside. So for Wonder Boy, it's another walk in a park, and unfortunately for Muhammad, it's the first time he's ever seen this animal. For the women's strawweight matchup that you mentioned, Amanda Lemoyce has seven of her ten wins by knockout. She is the much more powerful puncher for an Angela Hill, who's a Muay Thai specialist, but is a volume striker. Five of her 13 wins by knockout, so that's eight decisions. I think that you have a huge opportunity at 155 for Matthews Gamrat to again make another statement, knocking out Scott Holtzman, nearly ripping the arm out of the socket of Jeremy Stevens like it was nothing. Now he's going to take on Adigo Fajeda, who at one point looked like he was going to be a title contender on a six-fight win streak, but losses in his last two have everybody rethinking it. And I hope that Cub Swanson has had his running shoes on and gotten his miles in during this camp because I feel like we all know Darren Elkins eating damage or not is just going to run face forward trying to get that takedown, trying to make it a long night for Swanson who's going to have to be shuffling, pivoting, and trying to hit angles to keep his opponent off of him. Hyone Barcelos gets a Victor Henry on short notice. Henry comes in with wins in eight of his last nine to take on a Hyone Barcelos, who if the dude can get his weight under control, could attack that 115 there at 135. That is the kind of guy, a Hyone Barcelos, that Sean O'Malley is not trying to associate with. That's a fight he's trying to avoid. Uh, you got Andre Ewell trying to move up from 35 to 45 to take on a Charles Jourdain. Uh, it's a ranked matchup at 135 for the women as Raquel Pennington and Macy Chastone ba uh, battle. And I feel like this one is going to take place in the clinch. Both women have excellent boxing, but they just end up fighting in the clinch all the time. Uh, Dontel Mays, Josh Parajian, they both beat Roki Martinez in their last fight, so now they get to duel to see who beat him better. And Matt Sales moves up 10 pounds from 45 to 55 after getting submitted by in a twister by Bryce Mitchell. He gets to take on Jordan Wiv uh, Lovett, who has eight wins, six by submission. So they're going to test the Matt Sale grappling one more time. A couple of other things to hit on real quick, Mike. Uh, UFC 270 comes up. Uh, at the end of January, January 22nd in Anaheim. That's the card we mentioned that's headlined by Francis Ngannou and uh, Surreal gone for, for the heavyweight title. But we got news this uh, past week. Uh, the 271 card, February 12th in Houston, I guess, 
is going to be headlined by Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. I say I guess that because UFC announces that on Saturday during the pay-per-view and Adesanya immediately takes to Twitter and, and something I guess I didn't know. I, I feel old. I if you put a hat, a cap emoji on something, that means you're, you're calling it a lie. And, and Adesanya did just that. Now, Dana White said post-fight, uh, this is signed. The bout agreement's been signed. It is happening at 271 in Houston on February 12th. But what do you make of the, the cap emoji and, and all that from Israel Adesanya? Hey, that dude is a character. That dude likes to be the center of attention. And he's making it known that he has some feelings about something. I think he didn't want to get his ass kicked by Robert Whitaker. I I think that Adesanya is just playing with all of us, just being a jokester. Here we go. The rematch, Houston. And to my amazement, you already got an 11 fight card. And if you want to talk about how much uh, COVID is still affecting the world, as you look up and down this lineup, um, Mike Mathana, Carlos Albridge, you can see kind of uh, Jacob Malkoon, they were expecting, hopefully, for New Zealand or Australia to be open for this rematch as both fighters have a plethora of teammates on the card. Let me ask you this. is it Because it's Houston, uh, and it certainly would be a little out of character, but if you're UFC, are you secretly hoping that Derek Lewis makes really quick work of Chris Dawkins on Saturday and could turn around and somehow be on that card. It's early February. It would be a really quick turnaround for Derek Lewis, but let's keep in mind that the last Houston card, that was the, the interim title fight between gone and Lewis. That that's Derek's hometown. He is an absolute King there. If everything were to work out like that, do you think UFC would like to see a quick turnaround for Derek Lewis and stick him on that card somewhere? I ain't trying to beat this card up, but looking at it right now, the UFC needs Derek Lewis and Adrian Yanez on the card to pull the local Houston crowd. I'm not saying that you always got to pander to a certain audience when you go to their that community. And this will be the third pay-per-view that Houston's getting within a calendar yep. year, I believe. Mm-hmm. But Vince Pichel right now... A.J. Dobson, Kyler Phillips, Alex Hernandez, Roxanne Mataferi, Fabio Schoen, Orion Kosi, uh, Mana Martinez, Ronnie Lawrence, Ed Herman. Those are the American names on the card. I don't think any of them are Texans. You normally would see some Fortis MMA flavor, some guys from Houston. I think that as an 11 fight card right now, we're seeing these UFC cards get bulked up to 14, 15 fights. I think these last four spots are going to be reserved for Texas natives. I think they're going to be reserved for main fight uh, matches as well. I I don't, I look, obviously you've got your main event and that's going to sell it. I think you probably, based on what's out there now, you're probably in a perfect world still looking for a, a really strong co-main event to, to put on this card as well. That's where you're saying you're hoping a Derek yeah. Lewis pulls off a big win because if Derek, Derek Lewis gets the win, go back and look at the rankings real quick, see if I can get there. I guess that you're hoping, and you're probably not thinking that there's a John Jones realistic possibility, but maybe you are trying to slide up Derek Lewis against another one of these top prospects. Do you put a, a Junior Rosenstruck in there against Derek Lewis one more time? Do you try to bring Vulcan, Volkov? Volkov again? I I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Derek Lewis has been here so long; he's kind of fought all these names. So exactly, exactly. Yeah, so I you would hope to have him on the card. I'm just not sure who they pull out of the sky to make it happen. Yeah. Speaking of heavyweights, but jumping to a different organization, uh, Bellator announced uh, a big heavyweight matchup coming up on January 29th. That'll be on Showtime with uh, Ryan Bader defending his heavyweight title. Oh, and going to jump back to that 271 card. (laughs) This feels like the perfect spot for us to say this could be Jessica Andrade versus Valentina Shevchenko, too. Or this could be Valentina Shevchenko, Viviana Arujo co-main event. Now, oh yeah, you, you just said it. Bellator, their first event of the year. 
end of January, Phoenix, Arizona. It's going to be the same arena that you get to see the Phoenix Mercury and Phoenix Suns play basketball, and they will host the heavyweight title unification bout, Valentin Modoski, Ryan Bader, that's happening in January. That means there's more than enough time for the winner to be healed up to fight Fedor in Russia in July <laughs> in Moscow for the retirement fight. They said they were going to have something special for Fedor. The plan's all coming together now because the title will be unified and we'll have a champ in January. Not to mention you get a former Tough Latino 2 winner, Enrique Barzula, versus former Bellator Bantamweight champion, Darian Caldwell. Um, Brian Bader should be the faster of the two heavyweights. If he gets stuck in the clinch, I think he could have a rough night against Moldovsky, but... This will test the durability that's left in Ryan Bader if the weight cuts were somewhat depleting there at 205. He didn't look great against Nemkov. He didn't look great, obviously. Quick loss to Corey Anderson. But at heavyweight, he's looked good. His wrestling and his speed has made the difference. So maybe he should just stay at heavyweight is what we're going to find out in January. Anything else we need to hit on before we wrap this up? Okay, well, real quick, it's just a crazy week across the world. So... In Singapore, there is one championship, uh, Winter Warriors. So you have a flyweight number one contender, three former world champions on that card. Uh, in Poland, there's KSW. They're having where their welterweight champion is going to look to become also the middleweight champion. So that's a big one for KSW. UFC Fight Pass has three events on Friday night, a Titan FC event. Uh, not to mention also um, CFFC, and there's going to be a uh, United MMA event. All three events, double title matches. All three events. Wow. So regional title belts flying all around on that one. Uh, team grappling Thursday night. You're, I think you're going back yep. out to Vegas. Yep, yep. Yep, you might be there. So you got people from FAC, LFA, Fury FC, Cage Fury uh, FC all representing their former promotions. And Sunday on Fight Pass, Donald Cerrone in combat jiu-jitsu against Craig Jones. So it's the last weekend of the year for combat sports. I think everybody's taking Christmas weekend off. And it's a crazy weekend. There's so yeah. much ish along with this UFC card. It's a great time to be a combat sports fan. Absolutely it is. Micah, tell everybody how they can keep up with you. Over at CageMinds.com, got a YouTube, that's Cage Minds MMA Show. The Facebook is Cage Minds Combat Sports News, at Cage Minds underscore CSN on Instagram, and at Cage Minds MMA on Twitter. You can find the show on Twitter at MMA After Hours. You can get me at Real Mike Carlisle. You can hit us up on the email, MMAAfterHours at gmail.com. We will talk to you next week for another edition of MMA After Hours here on the After Hours Podcast Network. Love combat sports? I have a website for you, CageMinds.com. That's C-A-G-E-D-M-I-N-D-S.com. Fight news from around the world, in-depth interviews, live event coverage, covering combat sports for over a decade, established in April 2011. That's CageMinds.com.